delivered them. They cried out to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not put to shame. But as for me, I am a worm and no man. Scorned by y'all and despised by the people. All who see me laugh me to scorn. They curl their lips like their heads saying, He trusted in the Lord, let him deliver him. If he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me out of the womb. And kept me safe upon my mother's breast. I have been entrusted to you ever since I was born. You were my God when I was still in my mother's womb. Be not far from me, for trouble is near. And there is none to help. Many young bulls encircle me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their jaws at me. Like a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart within my breast is melting wax. My mouth is dried out like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. And you have laid me in the dust of the grave. Packs of dogs close me in, and gangs of evildoers circle around me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. To divide my garments among them, they cast lots for my clothing. Be not far away, O Lord. You are my strength. Hasten to help me. Save me from the sword. My life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth. I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. Praise the Lord, you that fear him. Stand in awe of him, O offspring of Israel. All you of Jacob's line give glory. For he does not despise nor abhor the poor in their poverty. Neither does he hide his face from them. And when they cry to him, he hears them. My praise is of him in the great assembly. I will perform my vows in the presence of those who worship him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied, and those who seek the Lord shall praise him. May your heart live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nation shall bow before him. For kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules over the nations. To him alone all who sleep in the earth bow down in worship. All who go down to the dust fall before him. My soul shall live for him. My descendants shall serve him. Be known as the Lord's they shall come and make known to the people yet unborn. Saving deeds that he has done.
The Passion of Our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. John. Jesus went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley to a place where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, because Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas brought a detachment of soldiers together with police from the chief priests and the Pharisees. And they came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that was to happen to him, came forward and asked them, Whom are you looking for? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus replied, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they stepped back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, Whom are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus, Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you are looking for me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. I did not lose a single one of those whom you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's slave, and cut off his right ear. The slave's name was Malchus. Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into its sheath. I am not to drink the cup that the Father has given me. So the soldiers, their officer and the Jewish police, arrested Jesus and bound him. First they took him to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was better to have one person die for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple followed Jesus. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter was standing outside at the gate. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out, spoke to the woman who guarded the gate, and brought Peter in. The woman said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the slaves and the police had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing around it and warming themselves. Peter also was standing with them and warming himself. Then the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Jesus answered, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple, where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said this, one of the police standing nearby struck Jesus on the face, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered, If I have spoken wrongly, testify to the wrong. But if I have spoken rightly, why do you strike me? Then Anna sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. They asked him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, a relative of the, man, of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, the cock crowed. Then they took Jesus from Caiaphas to Pilate's headquarters. It was early in the morning. They themselves did not enter the headquarters so as to avoid ritual defilement and to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? 
They answered, If this man were not a criminal, we would not have have handed him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews replied, We are not permitted to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill what Jesus had said when he indicated the kind of death he was to die. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell tell you about me? Pilate replied, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate asked him, what is the truth? After he had said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no case against him, but you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? They shouted in reply, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was abandoned. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. And the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they dressed him in a purple robe. They kept coming up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and striking him on the face. Pilate went out again and said to them, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no case against him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Here is the man. When the chief priest and the police saw him, they shouted, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no case against him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die because he has claimed to be the Son of God. Now when Pilate heard this, he was more afraid than ever. He entered his headquarters again and asked Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate therefore said to him, Do you refuse to speak to me? Do you not know that I have power to release you and power to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no power over me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on Pilate tried to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are no friend of the emperor. Everyone who claims to be a king sets himself against the emperor. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside and sat on the judge's bench at a place called the Stone Pavement, or in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover, and it was about noon. He said to the Jews, Here is your king. They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him. Pilate asked them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but the emperor. Then he handed him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and carrying the cross by himself, he went out to what is called the place of the skull, which in Hebrew is called Golgotha. 
There they crucified him, and with two others, one on either side, with Jesus between them. Pilate also had an inscription written and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Latin and in Greek. Then the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write, the king of the Jews, but this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answers, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four parts, one for each soldier. They also took his tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from the top. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see who will get it. This was to fulfill what the scripture said. They divided my clothes among themselves, and for clothing they cast lots. And that is what the soldiers did. Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and disciple whom he loved staring beside Standing beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. After this, when Jesus knew that all was now finished, he said, In order to fulfill the scripture, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there. So they put a sponge full of the wine on a branch of hyssop and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the wine, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, the Jews did not want the bodies left on the cross during the Sabbath, especially because that Sabbath was a day of great solemnity. So they asked Pilate to have the legs of the crucified men broken and the bodies removed. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once blood and water came out. He who saw this is testified so that you also may believe. His testimony is true, and he knows that he tells the truth. These things occurred so that the scripture might be fulfilled. None of his bones shall be broken. And again, another passage of scripture says, They will look on the one whom they have pierced. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who had first come to him by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight. They took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, and is the bur- as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb where no one had ever been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, as the tomb was close at hand, They laid Jesus there. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength 
and our Redeemer. Amen. we begin, I want you to imagine Jesus on the cross. Jesus' feet are about four or five feet off the ground, nailed through with a single rusty iron spike, nailed to a rough wooden post. About five feet further up, his arms are stretched out wide as his palms also are nailed uh, to a equally rough wooden crossbar. Splinters are digging into his already vicious wounds in his back. There's dried blood everywhere on Jesus' beaten and nearly naked body. Though there's some fresh blood that is still oozing from around the spikes in his palms and his feet running over innumerable bruises and open lacerations. Jesus is gasping for breath because crucifixion is ultimately death by asphyxiation under your own weight. And just above the crown of angry thorns that still sits on his head is a sign that reads, The King of the Jews, written in, Latin, Hebrew, and Greek. Now zoom out just a little in your mind's eye and see a similar picture on either side of Jesus. The two criminals who were crucified with him. One is hurling insults and naively planning his own escape. The other is perhaps more penitent. Zoom out a little further in your imagination and see the motley crowd uh, that is gathered there upon Golgotha Hill. Many have come for the sheer entertainment of this gruesome spectacle. Wandering around close to the crosses uh, are both Roman soldiers and Jewish priests who make a strange confederation as they take turns mocking Jesus, though there are some soldiers who are off to the side more occupied with rolling dice for Jesus' clothing. And also in the crowd are the women who had followed Jesus. They are wailing in anguished disbelief. Among them is Jesus' mother, Mary. And with John at her side, she is grieving And yet recalling, recalling amazing words spoken over Jesus as a baby by prophets and shepherds alike. Recalling finding her lost 12-year-old son in the temple in Jerusalem, interacting inquisitively with perhaps some of these same mocking priests. Through hot tears, she wonders, how has it come to this? We zoom out still further, and we 
we realize just how dim the light around Jesus has become as the light of the sun seems to be failing. Dark, angry clouds of black and blue and purple roll in like bruises across the sky. And in the distance, we hear the bells tolling in the temple in Jerusalem as the lambs are slaughtered in preparation for the Passover. So now we zoom back in and we see Jesus sucking sour wine from a dirty sponge on a long stick. And then unexpectedly, Jesus lets out a cry. It's strong and it's clear, even defiant. It is finished. And with that, he's gone. Flesh and blood remains there on the cross, but there is no spirit left within him. There is no life. There is no light. Jesus has died. It is finished. But just what is finished? That's the question for us tonight. Just what was finished? And why does that, how does that matter to us? There are at least a couple of wrong answers to the question about what was finished. We can get those out of the way. Jesus is not simply referring to his life. In fact, he prophesied several times that he would live again after dying. Jesus knew that there was no sense in which his imminent death meant the end of his life. Jesus is not saying that his life was finished. Neither could Jesus have been referring to the cause which he came to champion, as if to say, well, we had a good run. I didn't think it would turn out this way, but I guess I was wrong. I'm about to die, so it is finished. That is not what Jesus is saying. But I think there are a few right answers to the question, what was finished? And they're all related, these answers, so we might more think of them as layers uh, rather than as as separate answers. Layers to the answer. The first and the most obvious, I think, is that Jesus had finished the work that he had come to do. He came from heaven, but he did not simply come to teach us how to love. Although he did teach us that, and we should learn that lesson from him. He did not simply come to serve as a great example, although he certainly was. He came to rescue humanity from its own sin and separation from God. He came to be the means of reconciliation between us and God. He came to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He came for the cross. As we picture the Son of God on the cross, we can see above Him a sort of cosmic funnel with all the world's sin and all the world's rebellion against God's authority that there has ever been, all the world's selfishness, all the evil, 
all the misuse of power, all the rape, all the murder, all the war, all the human trafficking, all the pride and conceit, all the things done and left undone in thought, word, and deed, all funneled down onto Jesus for him to bear. It is the mercy of God that we cannot really get our heads around that depth or volume of darkness. But neither can we get our heads around the degree or the immensity, the purity of divine righteousness that Jesus must possess that he could absorb such vast oceans of evil upon himself. As Jesus cries out, it is finished. He is declaring that the cross is not defeat, but victory. Not shame, but glory. For all the sin and evil and death that he took upon himself, your sin and my sin and the sin of the world, it all died with him there. The judgment of God was placed there, literally upon God himself, so that it would not be placed upon you and me. On the cross we see, as one theologian put it very concisely, we see the death of death in the death of Christ. When Jesus cried out, it is finished, he was saying that he had finished the work that he came here to do. But it's not as if there was, this was new work. As if Jesus in the carpentry shop one day said, you know, I think I'll die for the sin of the world. So secondly, what was finished there on the cross was God's work of salvation that he had begun in the beginning. Bishop N.T. Wright wrote that what John's gospel would not have us forget is that Jesus goes to the cross as the climax of the long story of confrontation between the creator God and the principalities and the powers of this world. Everything. Everything from the earliest pages of Scripture has been moving towards this moment when God told the serpent in the garden that the offspring of the woman would crush his head. God was looking to this moment. When God judged the Egyptians but protected the Hebrews saying, when I see the blood of the lamb, I will pass over you. He was looking ahead to this moment. When God then led the people out of Egyptian bondage and slavery and made a way through the Red Sea where there had been no way, he was looking ahead to this moment. When God empowered a single young warrior, David, to stand on behalf of his people and fight and conquer an enemy that they had otherwise no hope of defeating, he was looking ahead to this moment. When God promised King David that his ancestor would sit on the throne of his people forever, he was looking to this moment. And when the Holy Spirit spoke through Isaiah of the suffering servant on whom the Lord has laid the iniquity of us all, he is looking to this moment. This is the denouement. This is the climax in the salvation drama. This is the act of God 
for the people of God in which the Son of God, through the love of God, takes upon himself the wrath of God to deliver to us the salvation of God and the peace of God. Or as Episcopal theologian Fleming Rutledge has put it, it is in the crucifixion that the nature of God is truly revealed. Everything else that we know about God, about His nature, about His love, about His justice, about His grace, about His law, about His relationship to all that is, everything is now seen through the lens of His ultimate revealing, where the law of God and the love of God intersect on the cross of Jesus Christ. So when Jesus cried out, it is finished, He was saying that He had finished the work that he had come to do, which the cross, which on the cross was the full completion of the saving work of God throughout created history. And that's amazing. And it's lofty and it's kind of up there, but you might be wondering, well, what does that have to do with me down here? What does that have to do with me in the midst of mortgage payments and doctor's appointments and final exams and just regular boots-on-the-ground life? Well, third, and finally, our cro- the cross finishes our own crushing work of self-salvation. Most of us have worked hard to complete a goal, and we've crossed the finish line only to find what? Another finish line, calling our name. When I finished uh, the only marathon that I have ever run or will ever run, I was laying on the ground, basically just trying to remember my name. I was so tired. And a friend leaned over and asked me, so when do you think you'll do another one? See, success promises satisfaction and rest and a sense of having arrived. But what success usually delivers is only higher expectations and higher pressure and higher stakes and more work. Well, there's nothing wrong with high stakes and hard work, but they are rarely what we are after when we're gunning for that promotion. And it's not just true about work, is it? Every finish line brings another starting line. If you do a good job volunteering at church, we're going to call you again. (laughs) Or if you do a good job with your floors at home, your neighbor is going to want you to help do his. Every finish line brings another starting line. And these are all fine things until we begin to attach our identity to these things. We are our success. We are our performance. We are the opinion of others. We are what we wear. We are how much we have in the bank. There's never enough. There's never enough success. There's never enough money. There's never enough compliments. And ultimately, the futility of the pursuit of these things is that we are crushed if we fail or we are left sorely disillusioned if we succeed cross is the end of this striving. The cross 
is the end of performance determining our worth. It is finished. Jesus has borne the demands upon himself. The cross is the declaration of God over you that you are who he says you are. You are loved. You are forgiven. You are worth his life. You are his. Theologian Paul Zoll tells a story about this in his book, Who Will Deliver Us? He refers to this uh, idea, this finish line, just bringing other finish lines, the striving. He refers to that as the law. So we get to that point, you'll know what he's talking about. He writes about a duck hunter who was hunting with his friend in a wide open barren land in southeast Georgia, who noticed a cloud of smoke far on the horizon. And soon he could hear the crackling. And a wind came up, and he realized. The terrible truth, there was a brush fire racing his way. It was moving so fast that he and his friend could not outrun it. And so the hunter began to empty his knapsack. And he soon found what he was looking for, which was a book of matches. And to his friend's amazement, he pulled out a match and he struck it and he lit a small fire around the two of them and soon they were standing in a circle of blackened earth waiting for the brush fire to come. And they didn't have to wait long. They covered their mouths with their handkerchiefs and they braced themselves and the fire came near and it swept over them. But they were completely unhurt. They weren't even touched. Fire would not burn the place where fire had already burned. The law, writes Zoll, the law is like the brush fire, the striving, the, the uh, finish lines. The law is like the brush fire. I cannot escape it, but if I stand in the burned over place, where the law has already burned its way through upon Jesus, then I will not get hurt. Not a hair of my head will be singed. The death of Christ is the burned over place. There I huddle, hardly believing, yet relieved. Christ's death has disarmed the law. There on the cross... As Jesus hung under dark skies, bloodied and beaten, mocked and scorned, he took our sin. He took our shame. He took our striving. And he died. And though it was probably impossible to see just then, life, true life, began to blossom. It is finished. And it has just begun. Amen. The solemn collects are found in your bulletin.
Dear people of God, our Heavenly Father sent His Son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved, that all who believe in Him might be delivered from the power of sin and death and become heirs with Him of everlasting life. We pray, therefore, for people everywhere according to their needs. Let us pray for the Holy Catholic Church of Christ throughout the world, for its unity in witness and service, for all bishops and other ministers, and for people, the people whom they serve. We pray for John, Charles, and Dorsey, our bishops, all the people in this diocese, 